Good morning. I hope you've been enjoying this online experience. And I'm here in my house in El Dorado Hills, California. And you know, I've lived in a lot of different houses in my life. One house that my family lived in when my kids were little was in Austin, Texas. And it was an old house down by the river. It wasn't a van down by the river, but it was just about the size of a van. We called it the yucky house because there were cockroaches all over the place and it was tiny. All my kids had to, had to sleep in one room. And I had my couch so close to the TV that all I had to do was lean forward to change the channel. I mean, I still use the remote because that's what you do. But one of the things that we used to love to do in this little house was play hide and seek. Do you remember that game when you were a kid? Oh, it's, it's such a great game. And I used to always love to be it. Because in my house, when I would count one, two, three, it was like chaos. It was like lightning hit the house and the kids are bouncing off of each other and they're all running and laughing and trying to find the best hiding spot. And then I'd give them about 20 seconds or so. And I would shout out, apple peaches, pumpkin pie, who's not ready, holler I. And usually there was one kid that didn't get hit and so I had to give them another 20 seconds. But when everybody was settled down and it was quiet, I would shout out, kind of in a, in a scary voice, ready or not, here I come. And I would start to pound my feet around the house. And whenever I would come up to a door or around a corner or I would look in a closet, I would say, I wonder if there's anybody in here. <laughs> my kids would giggle and I would pretend that I didn't find them. It was so much fun. Do you remember being a kid and, and when the seeker would come by, you had to be really still and quiet. And even your breathing seemed like it was too loud. And so you, you tried to hold your breath, but then that was problematic because you knew you had to breathe again and it was gonna be too loud. <laughs> but if the seeker passed you by, you would, you would grin to yourself. And you knew that you just had to wait for those magical words of triumph. All the oxen free, come out, come out, wherever you are. And if you heard those words, you would come out of hiding and you would start your march of victory. And in my house, we would start to share stories about where we were hiding and how we were found and, and why couldn't I find you? I thought I looked there. Stories of, of being found. Do you remember what it's like to be found? I mean, in life, have you ever had the experience of truly being found? Found. My youngest son, Caden, when he was about three or four, he used to hide by putting his hands on his face. And he would just stand in the middle of a hallway or the middle of a room. And I, I would just lean back and, and kind of smile at him. And then I realized one day that the whole point of the game for Caden was to be found. I mean, the whole reason he wanted to play was for that moment when daddy would come and, and scoop him up in his arms and I would tickle him and I would kiss him and he would laugh with delight and he would say, you found me, daddy, you found me. And I would say, I did, I did. And then of course, three-year-old Caden, like all three-year-olds, would want to play again and again and again and again. And the thing is, is Caden knew that his hope was going to come true. 
that daddy would find him every single time. And so he wanted to play again. He never lost hope. And we all need hope. You know, hope is, it's essential. Because without hope, our lives would not be able to flourish. The, the problems of life would seem insurmountable and none of us would be able to really have a future or see the future clearly at all. Without hope, we would still be haunted by our past. We would still be stuck in our present and none of us would have a future. Hope is, is so powerful. It can change our lives. It's so great it can transform a community and it's so beautiful that everyone everywhere is looking for it. There, there's almost nothing more heartbreaking than seeing someone without hope. Maybe you've had this experience. Maybe it's been a child who, who feels lonely or misunderstood. Or maybe it's a young mom who's exhausted and isolated. Or somebody that's lost their job or somebody that's injured. Or maybe somebody that's ill and they just can't seem to get out and have fellowship with others. People that lose hope, it's, it's a common thing. And maybe you feel that way these days, that we're, we're in a time right now where it's, it's difficult to have hope. Times of uncertainty like we're in right now. You know, Caden never lost hope, and I wish I could say that was true for me. I wish I could say that every single time I wanted God to come and scoop me up so that I could laugh with the light, that it happened. But it doesn't, and I do lose hope. I mean, are, are pastors allowed to say that? <laughs> because it's, it's true. You know, sometimes I feel like I feel like God's not playing the game right. Sometimes I just don't understand all the ins and outs of how all of this works. We live in a, in a turbulent, unpredictable, and, and often dangerous and chaotic and cruel world. If I'm honest, what I really want during these times is three things. I want clarity and I want certainty and I want safety. And I'm not saying that those things are, are bad to want. The problem isn't in the wanting of those. In fact, I receive those as gifts when I get those. The problem isn't in the wanting. The problem for me is in the not accepting. You see, life can unravel when we can accept that life must be lived in the tension because life doesn't offer clarity, certainty, or safety. And we're being reminded of that right now. You know, however all of this plays out, one of the things we're being reminded of is, is just how fragile life is. We're being reminded of just how susceptible humanity is to, to danger, whether it's biological danger or societal danger, social danger, or economic danger, or spiritual danger. And throughout history, people have always had to face difficult challenges, and there's always been arguments on, on how do we handle this, and what's the, what's the right course of action? 
But in a world that doesn't offer clarity, certainty, and safety, at least not all the time, we need something to hold on to. I need something to hold on to. And what I need is hope. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. We are in week three of a six-week journey that we're on. And this journey is rooted in an old friend that we call Psalm 23. And Psalm 23, as you read through it, there's these themes that emerge. And we're looking at six of those themes. And, and there's six words we've talked about enough. We've talked about action. Nicole did a great job last week. And this week, we're going to talk about the theme of hope. And we really see this from, from the very beginning to the very end of this psalm, but it especially emerges in verse 4, which says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is a picture of incredible hope. I said on another video that I had no idea several months ago when I planned out the teaching series that this would be the topic and that this verse would land on this weekend. But it does, and verse 4 is the dark and unresolved middle part of this ancient psalm. Psalm 23 that begins with incredible shalom. It begins with the peace of God and the provision of God. And it begins with this deep restorative process. And then God gives great direction. He sends us on paths of righteousness, really paths that are right for us, for his namesake. And so there's intentionality, there's purpose, and there's mission. And then there's a dark valley. But the song emerges out of that dark valley to this table fellowship and this forgiveness and this unity and this reconciliation. And then it ends with a beautiful, eternal love story. And you know, the ancient people, it's no wonder why they used to love to sing this song again and again and again. And my prayer for us at Saratoga Federated Church is that we would learn again how to sing the song that we would sing it often, and that we would sing it well. But to do that, we have to deal with verse 4, because verse 4 is the valley, it's the middle. And the middle can be really, really difficult, because it's in the middle that we can often lose hope. You know, the middle is that place where we've, where we've come such a long way, and we start to get exhausted because we have such a long way to go on the journey. The middle can be discouraging because sometimes the middle is the scary and, and unpredictable part of the journey. And really, it's the part that we see in all great stories of adventure, the tense part that great stories have in them. The middle is also the already not yet reality of the gospel story. And as we step back from Psalm 23, it's really the whole meta-narrative of Scripture all in one song. It's the overarching story of God in one song. And there's a climax to that story, and that climax is when Jesus dies, is buried, and he rises from the dead. And now we live in this already, not yet, reality of that story. God has already conquered 
sin, and death. Jesus already sits on the throne. And yet, we don't, right now, experience the fullness of all of that. Here's how Paul says it. He says, right now we look into a mirror dimly, but one day we will see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even I, even as I am fully known. But you know, waiting can really stink. And we live in this tension between the times, between the resurrection and the return of Jesus when he will set all things right. And so the question for us is, how do we live in that tension? How do we live in the middle? How do we live in the valley? However you do life in the valley, I hope these days that you will be living with hope. And that's exactly what we're going to see in the scriptures today. One of my favorite stories comes from Mark chapter 10. And so if you have your Bible there, go ahead and grab it or pull it up on your phone. Or, or maybe you want to press pause and go get your Bible and come back. Because we're going to look at this story from Mark chapter 10. And we're going to find a man in the valley of the shadow of death. Who against all odds holds on to hope and his life is transformed. And his name was Bartimaeus. And you know, Bartimaeus was blind. He, he may have been born blind, but more likely he probably became blind as the result of an illness that probably could have been easily prevented in our time, at least in the developing world for sure. I wonder what it was like to lose sight like Bartimaeus did. If he was young, I wonder what it was like to see his parents for the last time, or if he was older, to see his wife or even his, his kiddos for the last time. Images burn in his mind, and yet each year probably fading just a little bit more. What was it like to be left out of the normal life of society? to kind of be kicked to the curb and watch life go by? What was it like to live in an honor-shame culture where if you had a physical challenge, it was believed that that physical challenge was the result of sin? And usually it was the victim's sin or their parents' sin. Bartimaeus knew the experience of shame in his culture. And he didn't know the experience of the honor side of it. I mean, if I'm Bartimaeus, I'm, I, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling angry about what could have been. And now he's sitting on the roadside begging to survive. But this is where hope comes into the story. This is where the power of hope has a chance to change things. Listen to the way the, the writer Mark tells this story. Down in verse 46, he says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. 
But he shouted out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And then throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And maybe today that's a question that Jesus is asking you. The man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And verse 52 says, go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This story is amazing to me. It always has been. I'm captivated by how we see this man show his hope in Jesus. I mean, first of all, there's the incredible vulnerability that he shows. This man is on the edge of life. He's injured. He's discarded. He's on the sidelines. And he knew it. I mean, nobody had to say to him, hey, here, take this cloak, go over there on the side of the road, and you sit down there and beg because you don't belong here in normal life with the rest of us. Now, Bartimaeus completely understood his predicament. In other words, he knew the reality of the valley of the shadow of death. And at the bottom of this valley, he shows incredible courage. And he pleads loudly for all to hear. He basically makes a spectacle of himself. He's not going to let anybody stop him. I mean, as if begging wasn't humiliating enough for this man. But you see, vulnerability takes courage. And courage is born out of hope. And his courage was born out of hope in Jesus. And so he lays it all out there. You know, there's just something about practicing vulnerability with ourselves and with others and with God that gives us the freedom to live with hope during some of the hardest times. Some of us these days, we, we feel isolated and discouraged. And, and, and you know, in this shelter in place, it, it, it can make us feel frustrated and angry and impatient. We just sort of want it to be over. And maybe it's a big inconvenience for you, or, or maybe, maybe you're scared. Maybe you're scared for your health or the health of your family. I think we can all feel that. I was feeling that last night as I went to sleep. Maybe you're scared for your finances. Maybe you're scared for your future. Or maybe you're sad. You're sad and disappointed uh, because you're missing out on something in your own life or your kids are missing out on these milestones that you've wanted them to experience, things that they have been looking forward to. You know, there's an interesting detail in this story that's, that's really easy to miss, but the original readers would have picked up on this. The location of this story is just outside of the town of Jericho. And that, that town, Jericho, comes from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the readers would have remembered the story of Joshua and the ancient Israelites and how the walls came tumbling down. 
One of the opportunities that we have during this time is to actually tear down walls, sometimes walls that we don't even know are there, that, that have become a normal part of our lives. None of us likes social distancing, distancing, and none of us likes staying in isolation for too long. Even us introverts <laughs> wanna have some connection and fellowship and hugs with people. But like the frog in the kettle, we have grown used to living in a world where we actually have less and less meaningful connection. And we've often settled for more and more short and shallow interactions and relationships that, that actually leave us starving for more. We've put up walls between us in many, many ways. And loneliness is pandemic. What walls need to come down for your story to move forward? I believe that the power of vulnerability brings down walls and gives us hope in the valley. So practice vulnerability this week with one another. I'm also captivated by this man's incredible persistence. The crowd tells him to be quiet, but it says that he cried out all the more. He just doesn't let anybody get between him and Jesus. And I'm praying that we would be persistent in the valleys that we walk in today. Whatever challenges that we're facing, that we would, that we would keep taking that slow journey through Psalm 23. Right now, we're having to take a super-duper slow journey through that psalm, and so I hope you're recording your thoughts, and, and I hope you're sharing them with one another. Post them on social media. Send me an email. Call each other. FaceTime each other. Do the really old-school thing and write a letter and send it. Maybe you just take a picture and you text it to somebody. When we're persistent, it gives others hope, and it gives us hope as well, and walls come tumbling down. Eugene Peterson, who was a brilliant pastor and author, he once described the Christian life. In fact, he wrote a book with the title called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And this is our journey. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And so where do you need persistence these days? I believe that the power of persistence brings down walls and gives us hope in the valley. And so keep stepping forward in your relationship with God, in your relationship with one another. Keep stepping forward. Finally, I'm amazed at this man's incredible faith. It says that he threw his cloak aside and he came to Jesus with absolutely no guarantees at all. His cloak, the very thing that he probably collected the coins on that people dropped in front of him. And maybe that's a bit anachronistic, but I don't know how else it would work. His cloak was his livelihood, and it's also the thing that kept him warm at night. And usually people, especially poor people, maybe had one. And so he throws his livelihood and his security aside. It's such a metaphor for us. 
and he follows Jesus along the road. And that part of the story is almost understated, that he just follows Jesus along the road. Jesus says, go, here's the gift to you. You have your sight. It's unconditional. Do whatever you want. And he follows Jesus along the road. You know, there is incredible power in vulnerability. There's power in persistence. And there is power in a faithful following of Jesus. And so where do you need to follow these days? One of the other easy things that it's, one of the other things that it's easy for us to miss in this story is the geographical setting, the topography. Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem, and when he reaches Jerusalem, he'll be dead in a week, and so this is the last journey that he's on with his disciples. And they started this journey way up in the north in Caesarea Philippi, and then they went up to the mountain of transfiguration, and then they started to come down, 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 until they reached Jericho. Jericho is actually the lowest city on earth. It's 846 feet below sea level. And so Jesus and his followers are literally in a valley. But they're not just in a valley physically. They're also there relationally and emotionally. Jesus has shared with them over and over and over that he was going to die. And they were grieving. And they were arguing with one another. And they were jockeying for positions of power. Who was going to be the greatest? And they're sad because this mission was just getting started. I mean, why does it have to end now? What are you doing, God? We don't understand. And, and they were grieving also because they didn't feel the power of God. They couldn't even heal somebody that they should have been able to heal on this journey. And they're at the bottom and, and they're beginning to start the ascent all the way up to Jerusalem, which is over 2,000 feet above sea level. And this whole scene, this whole narrative, is a picture of the valley of the shadow of death. And when we see Jesus there, what is he doing? In the town of Jericho, he meets Zacchaeus, and that's another story for another day, but he changes his life. And then he sees blind Bartimaeus, and Jesus, in the valley, becomes a healer. And so for you, maybe, maybe you're experiencing a valley. And like Henry Noun calls us the wounded healer, maybe that's your vocation. To, to call somebody up in your valley and encourage them. To, to, to pray for somebody that's, that's hurting. There's lots of different ways to do that. And I, I trust the Spirit of God to be the Spirit of God and to give us energy and creativity as a family of faith that we could be loving and encouraging one another every single day. And that's my prayer for us, that we would participate in doing that. That even if we feel like we're at the bottom, that we would know that our shepherd is there with us. You know, I, I loved playing the game, hide and go seek. But the thing about that game is you can't play it alone. And the lesson that we get from this passage of scripture is that we're not alone. 
You see, the shepherd is there with his staff and his rod, these instruments that you guys have heard a lot about over the years, and they are there, and the shepherd is there to guide and to protect and to steer his sheep in the right direction, to remind his sheep that the shepherd is there in the darkness of the valley. And our good shepherd is there as well. And our good shepherd Jesus doesn't lose count of any of the sheep. He's with us. And there is hope in that. And so my prayer is that you would take to heart these words and the words of Paul from Romans chapter 15, where he says, may the God of hope fill you today with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer from wherever you're at today? God, thank you so much for your incredible word and your incredible faithfulness. I pray today that people all around the globe would feel a sense of hope in you, that those that are far from you in this time would find you, or maybe better yet, that they would be found by you. God, it's so easy to continue to hide our life away or even hide parts of our life away. And so may we be open and vulnerable and maybe walk in persistence and then follow you by faith. And when we do, we will have incredible hope. Amen. Thanks, everybody.